Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful on this morning that you are the one who's mighty to save and that we don't have to be. That you're the one who can move mountains and we don't have to, <laughs> we don't have to break out the bulldozer. That you are a reminder through beautiful song and testimony that everyone needs compassion. So this morning, would you please open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to know what all that means? And perhaps more than that, what we can do about it. We need you today. So come. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning to you guys in Cafe and Perry, Oklahoma, watching on Vimeo or listening via podcast. So glad you're with us today. We're going to talk about being storytellers. I love a good story. Any of you have great storytellers in your family? Raise your hand if you have a great storyteller in your family. Anybody have terrible storytellers in your family? I do. Anybody else? Well, maybe today we can learn a little bit about how to be great storytellers. I'm going to ask you in just a minute, um, about a minute, to tell a story to somebody. So everybody's going to need a partner in the whole room. Like, make sure that you've got a partner. It, it can be somebody you know or somebody you don't, um, but you're going to get to tell a story in just a minute. So hang with me. I'm going to go first. I'm going to try to do this in 30 seconds. You ready? I was in Cracker Barrel traveling for the Kentucky Baptist Convention as a worship consultant. I was by myself. When I travel by myself, I typically take a book because I know I'm going to eat somewhere and I'd like to have a book to read. And so I was sitting in Cracker Barrel, minding my business, reading my book. And I glanced up and I saw a very old couple. And by very old, I mean, like you would all agree, they were very old. They were probably in their 90s. She was in a wheelchair. She couldn't lift her arms. She couldn't do anything. And he sat next to her. They were facing the fireplace. And he just fed her and gave her drink and took care of his wife. It was one of the most beautiful things I've seen. It changed the way I thought about marriage. Right there in the middle of Cracker Barrel, instead of reading a book, God changed the way I thought about marriage because I wanted them to, to make sure that Jackie could be there to feed me. And <laughs> or the other way around. That's my story. Now, you've got 30 seconds. Seriously, everybody's going to tell a story. So it, keep it clean, keep it true, and keep it short. Are you ready? You got a partner? All right, go ahead, tell your story. Tell me, Stephen. seconds. All right, time's up. Time's up. Switch partners. 
Now, whoever was listening, tell the story, and whoever was telling listens. Go ahead. You have 30 seconds. Five seconds. And time's up. I'm, I'm not sure what Jim Jarvis's story was, but I think he was having church back there. It's, it's kind of fun to watch. Here's why I want to talk about storytelling today. Storytelling is simply another word for, for witnessing. Now, by the way, if, you're, if you have a bulletin, there's an outline there. You might want to fill in some blanks. I think there's something later on that you may want to go back to, so feel free to fill in the blanks. It's in the middle section of your bulletin. The reason I wanted to start with storytelling instead of witnessing is because most of us, when we heard the, hear the word witnessing, we freak out a little, or we go into our shell if we're a turtle, or we crawl under a rock if we're not. I don't, I don't think I can witness, but you just did. You just witnessed. Whatever your story was about, you served as a witness to that story. And I think sometimes we overcomplicate what the Bible instructs us to do by, we kind of load it down with stuff that it doesn't deserve to have. Does that make sense? For example, we hear witness and we think, oh my goodness, I need to be prepared to share the Roman road of salvation, make sure I get those verses right and tell somebody how to get saved. Well, that's evangelism, which witnessing is a part of, but maybe you have to be a witness, but you don't have to be an evangelist in a given setting. Witnessing is just like what I witnessed when I was on jury duty and you just, somebody calls them to the stand and they tell a story and you either believe them or you don't and they try to get their facts right. And that's just what a witness is. It's really quite simple. So I want us to consider for just a minute what stories the early followers of Jesus had to tell. They were storytellers, right? I mean, they saw some pretty amazing things. They saw lepers get healed. They saw thousands of people fed with a brown bag lunch. They saw water turned into wine. They saw a blind man regain his sight. They really had amazing stories to tell, but there was one that trumped them all. They had the story to tell about how their master, Jesus, was dead and then he was alive. That's a pretty great story. And they saw that. But I wonder how, how many of them, it was maybe even a bigger deal that their story went from I was dead and now I'm alive. Think of Mary Magdalene or the woman at the well. I was in this state of death and then Jesus changed everything and now I'm alive. I think for all of us who walk with Jesus, that's our story. And it was their story too. I know it's tempting to say, yeah, but those are people in the Bible. That was back then. They were special. But there's a, a letter in the New Testament called James. It's written by the half-brother of Jesus. And, and in that story, he talks about a very famous prophet, Elijah. Now, everybody in his town knew who Elijah was. Elijah was famous. He was a prophet. It'd be kind of like me saying Billy Graham. I mean, everybody knows who Billy Graham is in our world. Everybody knew who Elijah was in his. And James says that Elijah was a man just like us just like us. I, th I think James would say, hey, we're just, we're just men and women just like you. It, it isn't the time period of the story. It's the God behind the story. 
And today, your story, um, well, I, I think maybe you could change the world if you told your story. I think you could change the world if you told your story. I, I hear us um, as people. I hear us as people of God. I, I, um, I watch my friends comment about things on Facebook, for example, or Twitter, and I know we believe that the world needs to be changed. I just wonder if we ever considered that telling our story could change the world. And I think it can. Because storytelling is just another word for witnessing. And you have a story to tell. So what about you? What is your story? Has your marriage like mine gone from dead to alive? It was a long time ago, by the way. How about your body? Do you have a story of physical healing? I know some of you do. Miraculous healing. I wonder how many people in the row that you share a seat with today could tell a story about how they used to be bound by the chains of alcohol or gambling or shopping or video games or pornography or religion or sexual addiction. Used to be. Used to be. But now they or you are free. That's a story to tell. In more ways than we could imagine that in just this room, there is a, there's story after story after story of people going from dead to alive. If you don't know the stories of the people in your row, I encourage you to find out. I've been asking since I got here. I've heard dozens and dozens and dozens of stories of how people went from dead to alive. And I look around the room today and I see some of you and I know your stories. Share your story. Be a storyteller. It can change the world. The bottom line is you have a story to tell. You do. And I know, I know it's just your story. So let me, let me help you. I, I, I heard this just a few weeks ago and it kind of seemed so simple. I wondered why I hadn't heard it before. Think about your story in three phases. The first one is simply, um, I was. That's the before picture. I was. You can fill in the blank after the dots. This is the way you were before. But God, two of the most powerful words in Scripture and in our lives, but God. I was, but God. And then you close up your story with, and now, oh, and now. I think all of us can do this, can't we? Can't we take, I was, but God, and now, and put together your story of how God has worked in your life? Um, give you an example. I could say something like, I was in a marriage where we had given up hope of staying together, but God intervened in undeniable and miraculous ways, and now we are in a healthy, fulfilling relationship. Our marriage went from death to life. I think that was 10 seconds. I'd love to give you the 20-minute version. Those stories of how God intervened in miraculous ways are mind-blowing because that's the God we serve. And your story can be the same way. I was, but God. And now...
one of my concerns if I were sitting where you're sitting instead of sitting where I'm sitting would be that my story doesn't seem very powerful. Um, I want to give you three encouragements if that's where you sit today. I, I grew up as a church kid. I, I used to hear the stories when I was a teenager of, you know, the, the guy who used to be addicted to sex and drugs and alcohol. And he, I came into church and he told a story and I, I wish that was my story. That's so powerful. I was just a clean-cut kid. He kind of did the things he was supposed to do and didn't do the things he wasn't supposed to do. And I was a church kid. Um, and I used to yearn for my story to be more powerful. And, and these things have helped me a lot. The first one is, if you feel like your story isn't powerful, you're in a great spot. You are in a great spot for God to demonstrate his power. I wonder if Paul had the same excuse argument i don't know but in second corinthians 12 god says to the apostle paul my grace is all you need my power works best in weakness oh those are good words my power god says works best in weakness so paul tells us now i'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of christ can work through me for when i am weak then i am strong if your story feels weak I just want to remind you, it isn't the power of your story, it's the power of our God that makes your story compelling. The second encouragement I would give you is, is really to say the same thing in a different way. The power of your story is not in your story, it's in the Holy Spirit. Our, our verse for today, which you'll hear in increasing measure as we go through our time together, is Acts 1-8 that says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. The Greek word is the same word for which we get dynamite. It's power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I love the way Warren said it in staff meeting about a month ago. He said, we can't change men's hearts. It's the power of the Spirit. I wrote it down, Warren. It was good. It was good. So that begs the question, if the Holy Spirit is promised and then we're going to live in power, how do we get this power? Again, I wonder if you, like me, struggle to think, but I don't feel like I'm living in power. I don't feel like if I told my lame church boy growing up story, there'd be power in it. Maybe you wonder about that too. So I did a little research. I asked some of our knowledgeable people around church, and I was reminded that power comes from obedience. Power comes from obedience. Listen to God and do what he says. It is really incredible how many times um, I get that wrong. But of those few times I get it right, and, and the Spirit prompts me to call somebody, or in our day, text somebody, and I'll send them uh, a word of Scripture, or I will tell them I was just praying for them, or I'll call them and say, hey, I just had you on my heart. Are you doing okay? There is power in that phone call, not just because it's human interaction, which has power, but because God prompted me to do it. And again, those few times I get it right, the Spirit is empowering me because I'm being obedient. I, I really struggle with this whole, how do I walk with God and do what he says? How do I listen for the voice of God and act on what God says? A book that helped me tremendously is called Walking with God by John Eldridge. If you're a reader and haven't read Walking with God by John Eldridge, I highly recommend it to you. I would put it on the list of 10 books that every Christ follower ought to read apart from the Bible. Um, I've given away probably 20 copies of that through the years. I have read it twice. I, I just think it's amazing. Walking with God by John Eldridge, and I'd highly recommend it to you. One more encouragement. 
sometimes easier to tell somebody you don't know about your story than it is somebody you do know about your story. It's why mission trips are so popular among teenagers, right, guys? I mean, you go to Puerto Rico or you go to Haiti or wherever it is that you go, and it's just easier. These are people that you don't have to see the next day. And the more we do that is missional by way of activity, the more natural it becomes to tell our story in the places where it's a little more threatening. And so I want you to do me another favor. Look in your bulletin and take out this insert. Blue on one side, gold on the other. <coughs> if you're listening or watching online, you can find most of this information on our website at woodburnbaptist.org missions. Um, but for those of us in the house, just look at your insert. I want to look at the blue side first. About two months ago, 10 weeks ago, the missions committee sat down with the staff and we just said, okay, what are we doing as a church that's missions? We just, we can't find a category that's better than missions, so we'll put it there. And we came up with what's on the blue side. Fascinating thing about that conversation. None of us in the room knew everything on the list, which makes me think everything that you're doing in missions is not on the list. I love being a part of a church like that. Can I just say that to you this morning? I love being a part of a church where the church is doing more than the church knows it's doing. That's beautiful. Thank you for being that kind of church. But you might look down this list and say, oh, well, I could help with that, or I would like to do that, or that would give me a chance to sell my, shall, tell, tell my story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You want to volunteer at Emily's Closet across the street and help some under-resourced teenage girls have clothing that they need? And then you meet that teenage girl and you begin to build a relationship with her and then you tell her, I was, but God, and now. And she begins to see how God's story can change her story. Yeah, we should do that. Or serving homeless meals, which we do in partnership with Hotel Inc. Or going to the Hopkins nursing home just down the road. When I lived next door for a while, I used to walk in the mornings and I would walk by Hopkins and pray for the residents there. Maybe you could go and be a part of their birthday party that they have every month. And you could say to those folks, you're not forgotten. God loves you. I was, but God, and now. There are so many things, we don't have time to read them all, but yeah, you can find all kinds of ways to connect with what we do as a church. And the more we do that, and the more we rehearse our story in those places, the easier it becomes for us to tell our story to the people we love. Now, flip over to the gold side. These are mission opportunities that we anticipate being available to us as a church over the next three years. Some of these are well-planned and some of them are just ideas that need some work but they are things that we think we're gonna be doing as a church between now and 2018. Most of you know we have kind of the core of our church's vision is to plant 20 churches by 2020. In case you haven't looked at the calendar yet, we're halfway through 2015. By 2020, plant 20 churches. Um, so at the beginning of our list is this church planting, uh, I, I wanna say emphasis, but really it's more like our DNA. And there are ways that you can plug in and help with that. Local missions, and, and let me depart now. Put your, um, put your outline aside for a second, and let me show you Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's, that's Acts 1.8 in one translation. I, I don't know which one. Um, this is where the disciples were. They were in Jerusalem. 
And so Jesus comes back after his resurrection, appears to the disciples and says, disciples and says, hey, you guys are here in Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses here. Well, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It's where they are. They're going to tell their story where they are. But he says, it's not going to stop here. It's going to go to Judea. It's going to go to the northern kingdom. It's going to go outside of our region. But it's not going to stop there. It's even going to go to Samaria. That's kind of far away, Jesus. Are you sure? Yeah, you're going to be my witnesses in Samaria. Well, that's nothing compared to the ends of the world, the, the whole world. You are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Really cool fact for those of you Bible geeks like me, um, the book of Acts follows this outline. If you read Acts, it's the story of how the, story of the gospel went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world. That's how we're going to try to frame our missions work here at Woodburn, that we're going to continue to think, how can we be missions-minded here at home? And so this is Warren County and the county surrounding it, our Jerusalem. And not just our Jerusalem, but our Judea, the, the, the state in which we live, the beautiful Commonwealth of Kentucky. We're going to be witnesses in our area and in our state, but we're not going to stop there. We're going to go not just to our state, but to our nation and to the world. And so we're going to be looking for and trying to implement and um, resource and encourage ways for you to be storytellers where you are and where you go. It's really that simple. Simple, yeah, easy, maybe not. Um, it's so much of our faith is that way. It's not complicated, it's just hard. But I'm afraid, Rod, you might say to me, and I would say to you, yeah, me too. Uh, and that's why I don't do it in my own power. I do it in the power of the Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Maybe the easiest, least threatening place to begin is what we do about six times a year, five times a year called Care Night. Uh, if you live in the area, if you're near us in Woodburn, Kentucky, then come today at 4 o'clock. Warren will have work for you. It, it is a way for us to care and reach everyone. It's local missions. It is telling our story. Some of that's telling our story by sending out a mailer. Some of it's going door to door. Some of it's following up with those who came to Vacation Bible School this year. It, we'll just find ways for you. If we have more people than we have work, we'll come up with ideas. If you have ideas, tell Warren. He's always looking. Every time Care Night's coming, he'll say in staff meeting, hey, what, what can we do at Care Night this time? How can we serve our community? How can, we, how can we grow the kingdom? So Care Night is a great way to get started. I've got just a few more practical steps, but before we get there, I want, to hear, I want you to hear from a young man in our church. Um, he's been a part of Woodburn for years. His, uh, you'll, many of you will recognize his face. Um, he's now a student at Western. He's uh, a high achiever. Um, he's a really good young man. And if you, when you hear his story today, um, just remember the guy you know as well as the guy that you hear on the screen. I asked him a few weeks ago, I said, would you consider doing a little research and see if you can find this um, spoken word art form? Spoken word is like poetry, usually set to music and often put on video. Um, 
tends to be a little rhymy, almost like rap, but it's not a rap at all. It's really more of an art form like poetry. Um, and so I said, hey, Nathan, would you just, would you just Google? Because I've Googled like 10 pages, and I'm, I don't have patience for that. And you're a research guy. Would you just Google and see if you can find some spoken word pieces that you or somebody else could, could share with us at Woodburn, something that you think would be compelling, especially to your generation? And he said yes. And then I didn't hear from him for two weeks. And then I checked back and said, so how's it coming? And he said, um, I'll, I'll work on it. And then I didn't hear from him for a couple of weeks, and I said, so Nathan, any, any progress? And then the next day, um, actually at 2.15 in the morning, I got a text from him. It didn't wake me up. I had my phone on Do Not Disturb. Um, I got a text from him that says, uh, how's this? And it was a text message that was eight minutes long. It was incredible. I sat in my chair, and I read it, and I nearly cried. And I said, yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you. And so God got a hold of Nathan's heart, and he wanted to share something with you. He's not here this weekend. They're at a family reunion out of town, but thankfully, due to the beauty of video, we can watch it. So um, listen to Nathan's heart as he shares with us this morning. You know, when Rod first asked me to do a spoken word piece in church, I did what I think most of you would do, too. Um, I promptly ignored him and hoped he would go away. I thought, Bubba, you want me to speak in church? No way. Mm-mm. Forget about it. But then he asked again. And again. And again. And I started hearing that little voice. You know, that annoying little voice in the back of your head that just won't let you stop thinking about something. It's always there. I'd be sitting there eating my Taco Bell. Psst. Hey, do that. We fight back. Man, have you seen how messed up, twisted, and just absolutely wrecked my life is? If those people knew a third of the stuff I do, they wouldn't even let me in that church, much less let me speak. Psst. Hey, do that. We dodge again. Okay, I'll do it. But later, just let me uh, straighten up my life here, clean up this sin, uh, spray some Windex on the windows of my soul, uh, get rid of that old pet sin that I keep around. Yeah, yeah, I know it's getting big. I promise I'll take it to the Humane Society soon. Just not yet. Psst. Hey, do that. Man, who am I to speak in church? They should get someone better, someone with their act together, someone that doesn't have this sin in their life. I'm not the guy for the job. That little voice in your head just won't have it. Psst. Hey, do that. Then it hit me. Who am I to put off the God of the universe? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who am I to say that I'm not good enough? The God that picked Israel up out of the claws of Egypt. The God who just spoke the universe into existence. Tells me. You're paid for. You're covered in full. Zero balance. You are as holy and perfect and complete as my own son because of what I have done for you. Who am I to tell him that I'm not the right guy? Get somebody else. There is no one better or worse because we are all equal heirs with Christ. We all have faults, but God covers them. We're good, y'all. Oh, but we aren't. We aren't good. 
We've missed the point. We've dumbed down, reduced, and diluted Christ. You see, modern Christianity is like a donut. A donut's sweet, good, enjoyable. You don't see me getting upset when they give me a hot out of the grease Krispy Kreme. Mm -mm. The problem is, donut's not real food. There's no nutritional value, no nourishment, nothing to sustain the body or help it grow. Just sugar and hot air with a hole in the middle. That's what we've done with Christianity. We've taken the nutrients out. The parts that make us grow, the sustenance and the substance. We leave the sweetness but remove the nutrients. You see, we love to talk about God's amazing grace and unfailing love, but we skip the parts where God tells us to do something hard or out of our comfort zone. No, we read the Bible like a self-help book. We aren't trying to balance a family budget or fit into those skinny jeans, people. This is combat. This is an all-out war for the souls of our families, neighbors, and everybody else. The kingdom of the one true God. We skim over the chapters where God shows his angry side. You know, where he kills people for not doing what he commands. Oh, that was thousands of years ago, we say. He's not angry anymore. After all, have you seen anybody getting struck by lightning bolts lately? Y'all, how long do we think God will be patient? How long do we really think we can sit around ignoring the hole in the middle of our donut? The centerpiece is missing. We're not living with Jesus as the center of everything. If we were, our, everything would look a lot different. You remember it, and so do I. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. That wasn't a, hey, if you have time between yoga and picking up the kids, can you maybe go make a disciple or two? That wasn't a, hey, when you get your job together, uh, your life's stable and um, everything kind of under control, maybe you could be a missionary if it's easy enough? No, people. We all know it, but we choose to ignore it because we it would mean that we can't have this sweet, easy donut anymore. Go is actually from the Greek goes, meaning get up off your butt and do it. Make disciples means investing in people, not just giving five bucks to some homeless guy or a New Testament to a single mom. It means we have to meet people. Terrifying, I know. But to teach someone to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, you first have, a, have to have a relationship with them. And y'all, that doesn't mean, oh, we're friends on Facebook. You see, everybody, God gave us a command, not an option. We can't just skip the key point any longer. When we stop at grace, we aren't finishing the story. That's not the end, y'all. We're supposed to be working. We're supposed to be out there representing the God that so graciously forgives us with every ounce of our being and energy. But we don't. God isn't the center of our universe. Our donut Christianity doesn't even have a center. God isn't our compelling core. We put uh, family number one, work number two, uh, mortgage payment, that's problem number three. Y'all, we can't keep doing this over and over again. God didn't give us his gift so we could take it like a gift card from the in-laws at Christmas and use it whenever we want at the gate with St. Pete. God gave us this gift so we would share it with everyone. We can't do that when the annual Disney World trip outranks the Almighty. 
I'm not scolding anybody, guys. I do the same thing. I'm in the same boat. No, this is a wake-up call for all of us. This is a battle cry. Brothers and sisters, God is coming back soon. Have you seen the crap going on outside lately? Look in Revelation sometime and tell me that our egg timer isn't almost up. Are we really going to keep ignoring the only thing that matters eternally for the stuff that's going to be out of style, rusted, burnt down, and forgotten within a few years? How long are we going to keep ignoring the hole in the middle of this stupid donut that we keep falsely calling Christianity? How long are we going to say later and not yet to God and focusing on the things that we can't even take with us? Spoiler alert, y'all. We all die. And you can't take that sweet Corvette or that brand new Kate Spade bag with you to heaven. You can, however, take souls. Everyone's going somewhere, friends. It's just a matter of where. Imagine how we'll feel in heaven, watching our next door neighbor burn in hell because, well, we just never really got around to meet. Bet that overtime or soccer tournament that we always use as an excuse will seem pretty stupid then. Y'all, this isn't a friendly reminder. This is God's way of kicking us in the seat of the pants, commanding us to put him in the center right where he belongs. So guys, let's drop all the stupid stuff that won't matter. Let's do the job that we were put here for. We are soldiers of the kingdom of God, people. We have orders. We've got work to do. can't take that sweet Corvette or that Kate Spade bag with you to heaven, but you can take souls. Just by being a storyteller. I was. By God. By God. <laughs> and now. So I want to ask you to do something. All of you. It really doesn't matter to me too much what it is. I just want you to do something. I'm going to give you some ideas. You can, uh, <laughs> you can come up with your own that are probably better, but here are a few. Today, I, I don't mean this week or this month or before summer's over. I mean today. Today, I will tell my story to, and you can fill in the blank. It may help you a little bit. That outline I pointed you to earlier, if you'll write in a name right now, because if you write in a name, you're a little more likely to actually do it. Today I will tell my story to and fill in the blank. What's my story? I was, but God, and now. Maybe that's asking a little too much, so you can make an appointment with somebody to tell them your story today. Maybe you can use social media to talk about your story. I, I do this quite a bit. In fact, I have a friend who keeps unfriending people on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, this isn't going to make a lot of sense, but he just keeps unfriending on Facebook that have different views from him, 
And I keep looking for friends on Facebook who have different views from me because I want to tell them my story. I want to tell them that I was, but God. And now I have friends and family members who are avowed atheists. I have people who are running so fast from God that if they turned around, um, they would just fall down. I mean, they're just, they're flying as quickly as they can away from God. I mean, people that I've, that I've known for a long time, for all their lives. I can't remove myself from them. I have to be a storyteller in their life. So maybe you can use Facebook that way. Just an aside, um, Tim's sermons are always amazing. If, if you're watching today or you're a guest here today, I, I'm not the preacher, I'm the music guy. Our preacher is amazing. And his sermons get nearly as many hits on Vimeo as there are people in our building. You can use social media to spread the word. If there's a sermon that Tim preaches and there's something that he says that just resonates with your heart, um, follow Woodburn Baptist Church on Facebook and then you can share it and just say, hey, this rocked my world today, friends. You should watch this. I was, but God spoke to me, and now I want to share it with you. So you can use social media to do that. And then you could talk with somebody about what your next step is going to be. I, I hope there are at least a couple of folks from the missions committee here this morning. When we start singing in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to ask them to come down front. Um, Warren will be here. I'll be here. We'd love to help you know what is your next step. How can I get on board how can i start telling my story i want to make it as simple as i know how for you today where you are be a storyteller where you go be a storyteller that's really all listen to god do what he says where you are be a storyteller and where you go be a storyteller. This just kind of wouldn't go away. I kept not wanting to say it to you, and, um, and I guess God wanted me to say it. Acts 1.8 doesn't give us a loophole. When we have a story to tell, we seldom look for loopholes anyway. It doesn't say to fund my witnesses. It doesn't say to train my witnesses. It doesn't say to coordinate my witnesses. It says be my witnesses. Now, we need funding, and we need coordination, and we need training, and those are all good and beautiful things, and we've got to have them. It costs money to do ministry. But the command of Scripture is really just to be. Be. As natural as you are being human, be storytellers. Just like you're breathing, tell the story. Jimmy and Barbara White spent a lot of time in the hospital the last few weeks. They've told their story to nurse after nurse after caretaker after caretaker. Catherine Jarbo is in the hospital right now in the last days or weeks of her life. She is sharing the gospel with the nurses who come into her room. She's 89 years old. She's not having to work hard at it. She's just telling her story. I was, but God, and now. Just wherever we go and whatever we do, be a storyteller. Let's pray together. Jesus, we know that your heart, that your heart is for us to tell our story. 
but we need your help. It feels so foreign to us. Would you forgive us for that? It shouldn't, but it does. We struggle with how to tell a story. Some of us maybe don't even feel like we have a story to tell, let alone a compelling one. Would you, uh, would you extend your grace this morning in such a way that we could, we could confess to you that we don't have much of a story to tell and we need, we need you in our lives? Or maybe that we have a great story to tell and we're just terrified and we need to learn um, to not be afraid of people. Or maybe we just need to remember that we can't take that sweet Corvette or that Kate Spade bag, but we can take souls with us to heaven. Help us to tell stories of your work in our lives. Because you, Jesus, will do the saving if we will do the telling. In your name we pray.